the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Streaming now at KFAX.com and the Odyssey. Portions of our programming may be pre-recorded. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, on today's program, I think you'll agree we've got a real treat in store. Joining me in studio today is the senior pastor of Lighthouse Bible Fellowship of Fremont, Dr. Craig Grapeman. And Pastor, great to see you again. Welcome. It is a privilege, brother, to be here. Thank We're looking you. looking forward to getting a chance to uh, learning more about what God is doing uh, through Lighthouse Bible Fellowship in the East Bay and, uh, and also getting an opportunity to introduce our listeners to uh, your passion, your heartbeat for not just the church, but people here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Maybe take us back through, give us sort of the 30-second the elevator talk about your life experience. I understand that uh, you were a, a U.S. Army veteran. You uh, you served for quite a number of years. Yeah. And then, like a lot of vets, had some challenges. That is true. I was... Uh I got in. I joined the army when I was seventeen and a half. Signed the paperwork, and I got in at my eighteenth birthday. Uh, so I didn't go to jail. That wasn't a court order. That was just my my trajectory was. I was I was going off the rails. So I joined the military. I was in the military for five years, uh, jumping out of airplanes, doing silly things. I did uh, get an opportunity to have my boots on the ground in some combat zones, and uh, that kind of had a, it. It struck my. Uh, my consciousness a little bit. I, I, I had PTSD. I had to go through some therapy there, but I, before I got therapy, I, I was self-medicating and doing all kinds of things that weren't healthy for me. And um, I came, I was from California, came back to California and uh, just went off the deep end and um, was homeless on the streets of the Tenderloin in San Francisco. And uh, from there, God saw fit to get me into recovery. He sent me to HVRP, which was the Homeless Veterans Rehab Program in Menlo Park, California, where I uh, got clean and sober and also met someone who introduced me to Jesus Christ and my life uh, radically changed since then. That life experience, I would imagine, has been very helpful in terms of of your ministry in the sense of being able to really relate to the challenges that many people face. I I hope so. I I, I do think that uh, one of the one of the challenges of uh, being a a pastor and loving Jesus is that there's a radical transformation that you that I've received from meeting Jesus and being apprehended by Jesus. And so there is a little bit of a disconnect sometimes between uh, what I would call um, recovery in the world and then recovery in Jesus Christ. And so what I really do work on quite a bit when I work with people is to sort of bridge the gap between what they learn in recovery uh, and in uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. I try to bridge the gap between Christendom and those methods or uh, the milieus that they, they get their therapy in and say, look, all of this is, could be good, right, and true, what you're learning, the step work you're doing, the therapy you're getting. But uh, if you apply apply those things with Jesus initially as your sort of guide through those principles, you will find that walking with Christ will resolve many of these issues and you can be in recovery um, and actually 
actually you can recover from many of the ailments that people struggle with for a long time that they uh, because they identify them as part of who they are rather than as uh, sort of the essence of what it means to be a sinner. Uh, and, and certainly that relationship then becomes sort of the secret sauce when it comes to, to not only recovery, but long-lasting recovery. And, and certainly many of the fine 12-step programs that are out there can do a lot in terms of changing your thought process, helping you to modify your behavior, your viewpoint, your outlook on life. Um, it can do all of that, but the one thing that it can't succeed in doing in that is changing your heart. And only that encounter with Jesus Christ, that personal relationship can affect that heart change. And of course, once we see the heart change, then all of a sudden that notion of becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus comes into into full bloom, doesn't it? Absolutely. What I, I often say what what we're interested in is understanding that God wants to re, you to recover the original relationship that he has intended for all of his people uh, back to the Garden of Eden. We are recovering from all of the things that we do because we are sinners who sin. We're not, we're not we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And that's our nature. And when we're apprehended by the Lord, he restores us in some capacity, in a great capacity, to the original relationship he has intended for us uh, in the garden. And so I, I, when I talk about restoration and, and recovery and, and uh, redemption, I try to bring people back to what it would look like to have that relationship with God, that immediacy with God that Adam and Eve had. I believe that's what he provides us when he gives us the Holy Spirit, when he saves us. He has put us in a, in a different sort of paradigm altogether, and he's restored that relationship that he has, that he wants us to have. And that restoration leading to that relationship is, is really Long the key, time. isn't it? Yes. I mean, and I think that's, you know, now we see through a glass darkly, right? But I think the notion of as we slowly come to an understanding of Christ's work on the cross and and the power of the word reconciliation that leads to restoration, that leads to relationship. Wow, you talk about the three R's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'll, that'll preach. That, that, that's life-changing <laughs> yeah. and and that really comes to the core message of now your life's work. Uh, what led you to the trajectory to go into full-time ministry? I know that you had gotten a degree in, in nursing. Uh, you've got a background in professional counseling, a master's degree in counseling. But taking a step to, to say, okay, Lord, here am I. Uh, send me. And, and going into full-time ministry, how did that come about? I was an elder at a church um, in Southern Oregon, and I was working at the VA in Southern Oregon. I was uh, helping veterans there, but I kept sharing the gospel. I was I was facilitating facilitating groups where I would share the gospel, and the VA is is they welcome all sorts of strategies for helping people, but that's not, not, not the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it, it, they were, the, the administration was kind to me. I just, it just was, just sort of became untenable. I, I couldn't just preach the gospel and say, this was, this is the reason, or this is the way that you recover best. Um, and so I had to really check my options and say, do I want to uh, compromise this? I couldn't compromise the truth of the gospel and the, and the means of grace that the gospel provides for recovery so I had to just assess that and um, I went to my pastor to my wife and we had all sorts of discussions about what do I do now I was in I had gotten my master's but I was then working towards uh, a seminary degree not that was different a theological direction and I was like well I what do I do Can, um, didn't think I, I mean I knew I wanted to share the gospel 
and I shared the gospel often, but I didn't think I was really um, pastoral material. <laughs> but uh, my pastor, uh, God bless him, Don uh, Calvert, he, in, in New Beginnings in Oregon, he saw that differently. My wife saw that differently. And uh, we just uh, were sent from our church in Oregon to go plant a church. I was, it was, uh, um, I, I mean, I, there was a lot of details behind that. I mean, little events that happened, but essentially it was I had to stop working for the secular uh, world and, and work in church. So, to share the gospel. So. Well, you know, if you think about the profiles of, of some of the, the 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 outstanding leaders of the early church, um, juxtaposed to your own experience, I'm thinking, well, let's see, you know, ex-military, ex-drug addict, uh, motorcycle riding. Yeah, that probably sounds like a guy exactly that God would want to call. I mean, <laughs> you, you think about Paul. Yeah. You know, if, if Paul submitted his resume to the average church pulpit committee trying to get a job as a senior pastor, most would say, this guy, you got to be kidding me. Absolutely no way. Next. Yeah. Yeah. And yet the Lord uses him not only to play a significant role in the early church, but arguably writing, what, two-thirds of the New Testament. I mean, so I, I think it's that profile of those that seem to be least qualified. It has more to do with one's sense of heart and surrender than anything else, doesn't it? I mean, who he calls, he qualifies, right? That seems to be the case. <laughs> I still wonder if I'm qualified. I, I, I say that tongue-in-cheek a bit. Um, I, I identify with Peter as much as I identify with Paul, just in terms of the impetuousness of uh, my the impetuousness I had with when I was with the early in Christ, just shouting the gospel out in recovery meetings, yelling at people because they kept saying higher power, and I was like, "There's no higher power. There is only Jesus the Christ. He is God." Uh, so, so there was a little bit of, of definitely a little bit of Peter in me, um, but I, yeah, in terms of whether or not I'm qualified and how God does that. Um, I was radically saved. When I, and I think everybody who is, who is saved is radically saved. I mean, when we're saved unto Christ, we see the world completely differently. We took a pill. We took the red pill, and, and things changed very dynamically. And so um, what, what ended up qualifying me was my concern that people understood if we put the cart before the horse and start working on behavior primarily, we will miss the grace of God and what he has done already, what is, what is ours to for the taking when we are apprehended by him uh, I think when we start from that direction as a person restored to God the behavior changes it's, not, it's an outworking of our salvation and uh, and that concern for people watching people even in the church that were more mature than me and, and just gosh you're trying so hard to be a good Christian there's no such thing as a good Christian while we were yet sinners yes, he died exactly. on our behalf yeah. you know? I think most of us if we're honest in, in front of the mirror would say if I had to realign my behavior mm-hmm. to get good enough to be then qualified to cross the threshold of the average church. There's absolutely no way. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm done before I even get started. Absolutely. And that's really, I think, Dr. Grayman, at the the core of the gospel message, that he accepts us as we are Mm -hmm. and loves us so much that he wants to radically change our lives through and through, top to bottom, inside to out. Mm -hmm. And it's all a process of the working of the Holy Spirit and, and the power of his word. With me today in studio is Dr. Craig Greatman, Senior Pastor of Lighthouse Bible Fellowship of Fremont. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
Welcome back. We're visiting today in studio with Dr. Craig Greatman, Senior Pastor at Lighthouse Bible Fellowship of Fremont. Pastor Greatman, as our conversation continues, let's pick things up where we left off. I think the more that believers dive into the Word and 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 surrender to His Lordship, you know, that, that notion uh, Paul talked about working out His salvation, I, I think maybe in a broader scale of, of looking at what it means in terms of salvation, sanctification, uh, concepts that sadly in a lot of aspects of the church today are, are, are seldom preached. It's almost join our club, hang out, and if, if you treat God nicely, maybe you'll put a Cadillac in your driveway, which is not at all what the gospel message is. But I think when believers really truly begin to just grab a slight glimpse of what Christ has done on the cross mm. and what God has in store for us, mm. why wouldn't we allow that to so radically change our lives that that desire, that, that, that drive to want to shout it from the housetops becomes integral to who we are? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, to go back just a second, you can call me Craig. I know it might be confusing to the listener, but I, I, <laughs> hey, two so, Craigs are better than one. <laughs> I just so you you say though you know I do have I do have a doctorate. The reason I am talking about that for more, I am a knucklehead. I am just a, a guy who who is you know I'm just a, I'm a, a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. Um, but I point that out because um, a lot of my life in Christ has been dedicated to um, helping people who come to Christ from these difficult places and what is what becomes sort of good enough is that, well, I, I now have fire insurance. I did all these bad things and someone invited me, they gave me the gospel message, I responded and I've come and now um, I'm, I'm saved and, and so that's great. What has happened in my experience over the past 25 years plus in ministry is that I've seen the, those people stay where they're at for a really long time and see uh, some of the more erudite uh, pastors or, or some of the pastors who are uh, really well-spoken and um, very scripturally deep uh, sort of seem inaccessible to a lot of people who uh, come from the places I've come from. And I really want to share with people that we can... We all get the mind of Christ, and so we can all learn Scripture, and we can all um, learn about the, histor- the historical faith that we have, the historical Orthodox faith that, that, that comes from the Reformed tradition and, and from the Protestant movement in uh, the 1500s. And, and I, I think that that is exciting to me. When I see people who want to, who've, who've gotten saved, and the best that they could do is is sort of. I can't even read very well. Then they get immersed in Scripture. They even learn to read better. They they understand the, the doctrines of grace. They begin to understand that they're part of a rich history and a, a promise of redemption that goes all the way back to Abraham. They see that God has been doing things all along in their lives and in the world. And there is an exponential growth in 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 wisdom in general for their their lives in the world but also in the scriptures and instead of just leaving it sort of at this level where um you know their their christianity is is I'm saved, and that's enough. Well, and I think long we have had, and, and perhaps this, I'm going to say in the West, but perhaps this is universal, had that sense of the, the inaccessibility mm-hmm. of church leadership, mm-hmm. as you're suggesting. Oh, well, pastor, he's got a doctorate, you know. I, we could never relate. I, I, I could never even really have a conversation because he's, quote, so far above me. Yeah. And, of course, we tend to also impress upon even God himself that sense of inaccessibility. Mm-hmm. 
which completely defies the core message of the gospel. And, you know, I, I, I recall a trip into India many years ago and going through a, a temple mm-hmm. and seeing the, the makeup and the dress and the sacrifices and the incense burning and all these machinations of how hard mankind is trying to reach up to God mm. or to appease God. And my heart was broken looking at that because I thought the sad thing is the message that they've not yet been exposed to is as we're working so hard to try to reach up, <laughs> God came down. Mm-hmm. And at the very core, that sense of accessibility, you know, not just that Jesus says that, you know, he, he, he felt the same pain that we feel, things of that sort, but, but to acknowledge that God so deeply desires personal relationship with us. I, I think that it, for our, our, our finite minds to try to wrap ourselves around the, the, the concept of, of an infinite loving God who so infinitely loves us that he would be willing to allow his son to die on a tree on our behalf because he wants to walk in fellowship with us. It's a mind blow. So no wonder that we put these barriers of inaccessibility up because of these these long-held misconceptions that God is just somewhere up there and I can never hope to be able to reach him. Absolutely. I I think... When I think about that, I, I really think about the way in which we deliver the gospel uh, and the way in which we disciple. When, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he said he told us to teach to teach the people to make disciples of people. And so, in in that particular aspect of, of what we're supposed to do as a church. I don't know about all the other churches in the world. I know my experience is that that discipleship was lacking in terms of the seriousness and the weight of God's word and understanding it. I I was discipled pretty well, but not right away. I was discipled much later when I when I when I went to a church and said I want to be discipled. And so when we put the onus on a new believer to seek out that discipleship, we're already causing some a little bit of a problem because what we're supposed to do when we bring someone to Christ is disciple them and that discipleship makes helps people understand how accessible God is because he's given us his word he's given us this word for us to understand and to be taught to one another I was raised Jewish and so uh, that's the one thing that really struck me becoming a Christian was there was this big gap between uh, coming to know God and then educating people, teaching your children the way they should go when they rise up, when they lie down, uh, put them on, you know, bind them as a, as a sign upon your hand and upon your head, bind, uh, put them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That, that, the Shema that, you know, we find in Deuteronomy, that whole concept is, uh, is a, is part of fulfilling the covenant that we have with God that he, that he has openly and, and uh, graciously afforded us. He has put us in covenant with him so that when we want to follow him, those things come to us in a supernatural way. Yeah. And that level of engagement, I think, yes. is, is in There's many senses missing component mm-hmm. in, in sort of, you know, modern day Christianity, if you will. And, and, you know, it, it also dawns on me this notion that oftentimes, particularly from a Western viewpoint, we sort of see church as either where we go or what we do mm-hmm. and less about who we are. Mm-hmm. And at the core, when you talk about discipleship, and it's interesting, you won't see anywhere in Scripture that says go out and make Christians. That's right. But it does say go out and make disciples. Mm-hmm. And so that concept of understanding what it is to be a disciple and to make disciples and come in alongside someone that we've led to Christ. I, I think that you set up, as you suggest, a tension there. If 
the young believers struggling to try to kind of reach out and show me what to do. And boy, talk about the opportunity for the enemy to come in and to lead one astray. And, and is it any wonder that sometimes people either live a marginal kind of Christianity, a cultural kind of Christianity, or even get pulled into cults, even though they might have started out on the right track? They're easily swayed because the foundation of understanding there of the character of God and the nature of God uh, is oftentimes missing. And I put the responsibility of that right at the feet of the church. Absolutely. And, and the people who are enthusiastically sharing the gospel, to, for them to remember, all of us as members of the body, when we see that God has, has by his grace, used our ability to share the gospel to bring someone to him, we have a responsibility right then and there to take that person by the hand and raise them up and, and disciple them. Uh, I think, you know, being a member of the body, we talk about personal relationship with God, that's absolutely true. When we are saved, we have a personal, intimate relationship with God. He has now become immediate, and he's not just out there in some ethereal way. We have a personal relationship with him, but that is never apart from uh, the corporate church or the body of Christ. We're always with God personally and told that that is, for lack of a better term, activated when we're with other Christians and we're in the body. We, it's, a, it's a corporate deal as much as it's an individual deal. With me today in studio is Dr. Craig Greatman, Senior Pastor of Lighthouse Bible Fellowship of Fremont. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're visiting today in studio with Dr. Craig Greatman, Senior Pastor at Lighthouse Bible Fellowship of Fremont. Pastor Greatman, as our conversation continues, let's pick things up where we left off. Scripture talks about iron sharpening iron mm-hmm. and the fact that we are in this together and, and that 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 opportunity at, at, at spiritual growth, while it certainly is is through that intimate relationship with God, but but along the way, how do we get there? Well, bury one another burdens mm-hmm. and, and, and encourage each other and exhort one another in the faith. And I think that happens through not only actively engaging in the body of Christ and in the Sunday worship experience, but at the same token, being a part of that Christian community so that we are there to encourage one another, to hold each other accountable, and to walk side by side with each other. I mean, it, it, concepts of things like mentoring, for example, mm-hmm. seems to completely have sort of disappeared from the American lexicon. And, and, and I think most sadly in the church yeah. that we think that, well, somebody showed up to service and when the pastor did the altar call, they raised their hand. Oh, God bless you. We're going to baptize you, pat you on the back, and then we'll send you a box of envelopes where you can put your offering in <laughs> for church every Sunday and then be sure to attend our membership classes. I'm going, where is that in Scripture? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we I mean, we do have membership classes, but I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I do. I, I, I think it's, um, you know, as, as, I, as I think about my own experiences and, and, and my heart when I came to Christ and I was just so radically transformed and sort of going, what do I do now? I just want to scream from the top of, top of my lungs, Jesus is Lord. Well, for me... As a person who was raised Jewish, I, I had no context for for the Messiah coming that he had already come back, and so that shifted for me a, a quite a bit, quite a bit, a bit. But what, in understanding that, and then having the church help me to to know that he God's gifts have been given to me. This idea of wanting to share the gospel even was not just for the world; it was for the body of Christ to be edified. Were they edified because I was sharing the gospel with them? Maybe, but they were also edified because I was so willing to share the gospel out there. I 
I brought that. The Lord used me to help my church see how important evangelism was. So if I was doing that all by myself and not being a part of the body, the the body would be missing the gift of evangelism. And is part of the, the problem there perhaps because we've traditionally sort of looked at evangelism again in, in, in more modern times of Christianity as either something that the experts do meaning Greg Laurie, Billy Graham that's their job or we look at evangelism almost dare I say like paying taxes mm-hmm. well I guess we have to do this but it's not something we really want to do voluntarily and then I think to myself you know if if you really know God and are discovering more about the character of God and, and, and little by little capturing, capturing sort of miniature glimpses of the totality of the incredible love that he showed toward us mm-hmm. and what it means to truly be a, a sinner saved by grace mm-hmm. and, and sort of the, the, the understanding of, the, of the, 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 the application and who we are and what we do is, you know, part of the five solas. To see that and begin to say, you know what, I, I'm coming to the realization that evangelism is not something that I have to do. It's something that I get to do. Mm-hmm. And it's born out of such an insatiable desire to share with others this Christ who's died for me, mm-hmm. that now for whom I have surrendered my life and serve, and the opportunity to walk in fellowship with, oh my God, very Lord and Creator himself, mm-hmm. would seem to me that you would have to stop people and say, hey, slow down. You know, you can't mm-hmm. be knocking on doors at two o'clock in the morning, right. as opposed to trying to convince people that it really won't hurt them if they share with somebody else that, don't tell anybody, but I'm a Christian. I mean, it... it, it does, yeah, I, I... Well... I, that resonates with me because of the way, I mean, my, my life was radically transformed. I had a life that didn't have much purpose, and I didn't understand what I was supposed to do with my life. So coming to Christ and understanding the truth of who God is and sharing that with people it just became everything that my world was about. I say that I want to qualify this because the Bible does tell us to do the work of an evangelist. I mean, and that's Paul talking to Timothy about the work of an evangelist. So, so there are some people who have to, who have to do the work. Absolutely. There, there's yeah. a separate yeah. office. So yeah. to speak. Absolutely. But, but yeah. I'm talking about evangelism yeah. in the sense of, of sure. sharing of one's faith yeah. and what it means to be a disciple. Yes. And so that's a, I, a contagious thing. I mean, I, my sensibility is that when we, when we are in fellowship with God, it's almost as if when we're talking to people that are in the world and not in Christ, they're looking at every single thing from their paying of their bills and making it day to day to where they send their kids to school to politics, all these things. And they're looking at all of them much. I'm speaking a different language. My, so I, so I want to help them and almost scream at them. Look, Stop worrying so much. God really is in charge. He's sovereign. I want to give you freedom to to have the to, to not worry about all those things you're worried about and know that God loves you. God is on the throne. God has a purpose for your life. And when you know that, you'll be very excited and you'll translate the conversations you have with people in the world a much different way and you'll come across differently with them, even if you don't give them what some people refer to as a Romans road or some sort of gospel, uh, you know, formatted gospel presentation, you're presenting the gospel with the fact that you 
just love Jesus so much, you see everything differently. And that really should take the pressure yeah. off, because I know people yeah. would say, well, you know, uh, I've tried to memorize Bill Bright's, you know, the, the yeah. four spiritual laws, and here's the chair, and all, you know. And, and oftentimes, I think when when it's forced, it comes across as being forced. Mm-hmm. And, and particularly in a region like the Bay Area, where, my goodness, talk about the mission field, you want to know where it is. 30 years ago, it meant learning another language, raising some support, getting a passport, moving overseas. Now you open your front door, and there it is. Absolutely. But I think when it's a natural outgrowth of of who you are in Christ, then it's not going to be forced. Because believe me, people, I think, have their their uh, their nonsense detectors up. Mm-hmm. There's been enough exposure sometimes to organized religion. It's fascinating. There was just a new Pew Research study out that's talking about the phenomenal growth of the nuns category. Mm-hmm. These are not necessarily people that have said outright, I am, you know, now a card-carrying member of the Atheist Society, but rather those that say, you know, what I've seen of the faith of my fathers and others, I, I just don't really get. I can't relate to it, and so I'm not necessarily rejecting the concept of God or spirituality, but what I see in modern-day Christianity just doesn't get me excited. And I think maybe that a lot of that is the fault of the church, where we either try to force it or have so utterly failed at sharing it because, you know, we take the concept that our faith is a very personal thing, very private thing. Well, that's not at all what we see in Scripture. And and I would wonder how much of that hesitancy is perhaps a product of the fact that the the relationship that we think we have is more a matter of duty. I go to church because this is what I've always done, as opposed to I go to church because these people are my family and I want to be able to enter into community worship of the God that I serve and be able to see the Lord through the Holy Spirit and his word work on my heart, work on my life so that I become more and more day by day a reflection of who this Christ is here on earth. Absolutely. That's the hope that is within us. And there's a there's a reason for the hope that is within us. And to give that reason for the hope that is within us, we have to expose that we have the hope first. You know, so, that, so that's the hope of Jesus Christ living in us. And I, I think we look at the world much differently. I know I do because I... I mean, one, I know that the church, no matter what condition it's in locally or where we're at in America, God is, Jesus the Christ has promised that his bride will go forward and will stand until he returns and not just stand, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. There is an offensive that the Chris, that the church needs to have in terms, not just needs to have, does have because of the spiritual power it's been given. And we we've relied upon our relationships with, with political strengths and all those sorts of things instead of just being the church. We don't need to be aligned with anybody else in the world. It's nice when we are, but we, we, we have a power. The power is God to go and, and make disciples. With me today in studio is Dr. Craig Greatman, Senior Pastor of Lighthouse Bible Fellowship of Fremont. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're visiting today in studio with Dr. Craig Greatman, Senior Pastor at Lighthouse Bible Fellowship of Fremont. Pastor Greatman, as our conversation continues, let's pick things up where we left off. Perhaps we need to, uh, you know, do some reading again and and in 
engage in perhaps uh, some rudimentary uh, understanding of definitions because, you know, Scripture talks about the gospel being an offense to those that are perishing. Yes. And yet sometimes we take that and say, oh, that means the church is supposed to be offensive. <laughs> well, no, no. Yeah. When you talk about the church being on, being on the offense, we're talking about a church triumphant that, as you said, mm-hmm. the, the very gates of hell will not stand against mm-hmm. and being strong in our faith and confident in whom in whom we serve and, and what he has done for us. Um, and, and sometimes we do a far better job at just offending people. Yeah. And, you know, the old adage about the, the the man who had been around for years and years and, and somebody finally said to him, why why have you never come to Christ? And sometimes the answer is because they've never met a Christian. And sometimes the answer is because they have met a Christian and mm-hmm. they find no interest whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a sad commentary on uh, certainly not, not, not against all of the church, but there's enough of us, particularly in the Western church, that I think have far too long engaged in the cultural side of Christianity. Mm-hmm. The spectator sport side of Christianity. We sit in the pews, we watch the show, we watch pastors speak, great music, wasn't the choir wonderful, but that sense of day-to-day engagement about it being representative of who we are at the very being, sadly, I think there's a disconnect there. I wonder how many people that that would name Jesus as Lord and Savior have, in fact, never truly had an encounter with him. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to speculate on that, I, because I see, I really do see that there's been an alliance. We've, we've gone through... What was probably there was probably a lot of good during the uh, religious right movement of the eighties and nineties. Um, a lot of people saw some good things come out of Christianity and some some movements that you know towards abolishing abortion. We're 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 standing today on the shoulders of those who were in the religious right movement when we see what happened last year with regard to the uh, the ruling on abortion. So uh, there's a little bit of both and in, with regard to what I'm saying, but I I think that when we understand we do have a place in culture, but our place in culture is not to tether ourselves to any other mechanism. It's to be involved in those mechanisms and move those mechanisms towards Christ. Whether you're going to be a president, a doctor, uh, a mayor, be your politics, whatever, bring Christ into that and do not bend uh, for the you know, at the whims of whatever organization. And, and I think sometimes we see either a running from culture out of fear mm-hmm. or a joining of culture out of sort of, well, if you can't yeah. beat them, join them, so we're going to surrender. And we're missing out on, on the tertiary approach, which is really the fundamental approach that God has called us to, and that is engaging in the culture. Absolutely. That's you know, and that's the work of Francis Francis Schaeffer, Leslie Newbegin. There are there are many people who have articulated this much better than I will right in this moment. But I I, I do have a, a, a passion for that realm of how do we how do we right now in the 21st century here in the the Bay Area how do we engage this culture? We know that there is there is this essence of Sodom and Gomorrah out there, and people believing something about the human condition apart from God. There are people that say that they can do whatever they want with their body, that they're autonomous. And we're not rejecting them because they are so, you know, immoral. Uh, Our hearts should break for when, in terms of just this whole transgender issue, which is sort of, you know, it's not just gaining traction, it's it's a problem. There's a real problem now with how we're looking at sex and sexuality and, and that whole issue of design and how God has designed us. But we're concerned about that, not just because it's, it's an immoral idea, but because these people don't have a God construct. They're doing things that they think they're entitled to do because they don't know their maker. And when they know their maker, even if they had a, a, a you know, some dysphoria in 
understanding who they are, and I think we all do. Maybe it's not a, a, a gender dysphoria, but we all have a bit of dysphoria Absolutely. when we're when we're not in Christ. And so, what do we want to relieve? Their hearts are breaking. Their 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 souls are breaking. We want their souls to be free. So we don't want to just say you're a horrible, immoral person. We want to 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 meet them in their brokenness and and talk to those people and say, hey. Jesus, he loves you. Not only, not only does he love you, but he designed you. And the problems that you're having are directly related to the fact that you don't know him. Yeah, and that sense of, you know, if I only go about this fundamental change, everything will be okay. Right. And I think God would say absolutely, yes, I want you to go through a fundamental change, mm-hmm. but that fundamental change is going to be working from the inside out yes. and it's going to begin as you bow knee and acknowledge your sin, mm-hmm. and as you confess that sin and then surrender your life to Christ, then all these issues of whatever your dysphoria is, mm-hmm. and you're right, we all have it. It's different for everybody, but we all have yeah. and and to understand that at the very core God wants to not only radically change us but then to walk in that fellowship mm-hmm. and to begin to capture a glimpse of what eternity is going to look like because we also I think sometimes leave out that part of the equation we are so earthly minded in dealing with today's issues today's problems we forget about that this is just a twinkling of an eye when it comes to the totality of of eternity and what God has prepared and has in store for all of us not only has he prepared us for he has not only has he prepared for us something eternally the not yet part but there is a now when we talk about what God has prepared for us and that now is to Relate the power of Jesus Christ and, and, and His restoration and His re, His, restora, his restorative power and His re, redemptive power. Give people a foretaste of it right now, and and let them know the, of the promise of how how much better this is going to be in, in eternity. Yeah, not yeah. only here and now, yeah. but on the other side. Yeah. Uh, Pastor, I want to pivot to uh, sure. having you share a bit with our listeners about what God is doing at uh, Lighthouse Bible Fellowship. Absolutely. Um, so we are we're we're essentially at, at a stage where we're a replant. There are a lot of things that happened that I wasn't familiar with in terms of the Bay Area and what has gone on, what, what went on during COVID. I, I just wasn't a part of that. And so um, when I got here, uh, I, I was just sort of looking at the uh, what I was look what I thought I was looking at was a sort of spiritual wasteland. It took it's taken me a couple of years now to see it's not as dire as I thought it was. Um, at the same time, our local church was pretty decimated. Um, and so what I've discovered over time and what our body has discovered is that we are sharing with people a new, the new lighthouse. And it uh, has some great tradition and, and a great history to it. Uh, a great people built that church and, and uh, started that church. But it's now uh, there's, a, there's a whole new generation in this church. And we have a great core group of people. We are starting with sort of uh, the basics of Christianity. I mean, I'm, I'm going taking people back to the doctrines of grace. I'm getting, we're getting involved in uh, creeds and we're studying creeds and catechisms and uh, uh, the confessions right now. Uh, I, I do lean towards, uh, I don't lean towards, I am, I am steeped in the reform tradition. And so uh, we are, we're actually a church that is um, a candidate church with the CREC, which is the Communion of Reform Evangelical Churches. So we have a our Sunday gathering is, is, is a gathering where we talk about re- covenant renewal. We do that through the liturgies of communion, of singing. Uh, anytime we have baptism, we'll absolutely uh, have. Uh, we, also, we love having baptisms. We had several last year. Um, so we're 
we're providing a framework and what I'm trying to explain to our church uh, at this point is that this framework is, is, is going to be built so that when this generation is gone the church will still stand and we will have passed on to the next generation the purposes for the church so that they can hold on to these principles these historical reformed orthodox principles of the church far beyond our day um, and it's it's a, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a work right now people are sort of a little bit dizzy I think um, I'm, I, we're, we're taking a deep breath we're, we're planting our flag in terms of our identity as a church I Explaining to people that we have an identity, that we are the, we are a lighthouse. That we're, I love that name. We don't always choose the name of the churches we go to or whatever. I, it's not what I'm planting. Taking that name, uh, so we're the lighthouse. We are a beacon of light for everyone in this uh, community who wants to know the light of Jesus Christ. And uh, we preach the word of God. And I pre I pretty much go verse by verse we're in hebrews right now and then we have uh, bible studies uh we have a bible study during the week on wednesday evenings at six o'clock we eat we break bread together we have a great meal and then we sit down and right now again we're discussing uh creeds and and confessions and catechisms and people understand getting an understanding of the richness of the historical uh reformed tradition and 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 helping to to lay that foundation or to restore that foundation i think is is not only critical important, but so refreshing, particularly if you're uh, somebody who's been eavesdropping on our conversation today and say, wow, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a church that preaches the word in an uncompromising fashion and a pastor who doesn't get up and quote from a passage of scripture and then go off and tell tales and stories for 30 minutes. You know, I, I mean, I, I, if you want to go to an Anthony Robbins success automation seminar, mm-hmm. uh, I don't dissuade you from doing that, but I do want to warn you that isn't Christianity. It's Christian life. Mm-hmm. And so if you're talking about uh, expository preaching of God's Word, where you really get in fundamentally, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, to understand more about the meaning of the Scriptures and the identity of who Christ is and your identity in Christ Jesus and, and what it means to truly walk in fellowship with Him and, and to understand the, 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 the nature and necessity of what it means to, to, to uh, you know, serve Christ, be saved by grace, the importance of, of Scripture alone as, as our guide with, of course, the instruction of the Holy Spirit Spirit, um, then this undoubtedly would be a church that you will want to check out. Lighthouse Bible Fellowship. They're located at 280 Mowry Avenue in Fremont, and uh, Sunday services at 10:30 a.m. Yes, and we are we are family integrated. We we do have a a group of, of people that are that are prepared to serve the youth and the young people. But we're at, we're we're at a place right now where we are experimenting with family integration because I think it's a great thing to have our kids running around. Not, not really right now, but we, we want them to hear, we want them, even if it's just by osmosis, to hear the word of God. I've never understood the idea of, okay, send the kids off to children's church. Wait a minute. Let's all come and learn together. Yeah. And the sing. parts that they don't understand, that's okay. They'll yeah. get off the milk eventually. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's our particular philosophy. Uh, it, I, I don't mind at all hearing a crying baby. We do have a cry room and a nursery and all those sorts of things. So we, we, have, we have a beautiful facility, and we have a, a facility filled with great people, warm people, kind people. It's been a blessing for me and my family to be here. So I'm excited. I want to invite people to come and join us and see what we're about, understanding that uh, we'll be really honest. We're, we're on an uphill climb. We are building something. And so if if you're a person who understands that uh, if you're a mature believer, please come. We, we want mature believers. We, I just don't want to shuffle the deck. I don't want people to leave another church. But if they someone is looking for a church, 
yeah, absolutely come check us out. Yeah, and undoubtedly you've heard the heartbeat of uh, Pastor Greatman today. Uh, I want to invite you to check him out online at Think of the Church Letters, Lighthouse Bible Fellowship as lbfchurch.org. That's lbfchurch.org. Again, meeting Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 280 Mowry Avenue in the city of Fremont. Again, on the web at lbfchurch.org. Our thanks to Dr. Craig Greatman, Pastor, for being with us today. Been a delight to get a chance to visit with you. Well, thank you. It's, again, it's a privilege, Craig. I'm, I'm very, very grateful, and I'm looking forward to what God has in store. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Let's leave the next generation a better world. Remember, we are called to be salt and light. AM 1100 KFAX San Francisco. Or find us at oneplace.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.